eternal, immortal. Or I wanted to see that bird. I was trying to look and see. I almost felt like we need to pass that around to the adults as well. But it's so good to be back with all of you. Thank you for those that are watching online. We really love having the church filled up with people here. We love that you're watching online when you can't be here. And those that maybe have felt in the past that they didn't have access now have access because of the technology that we have. Amen? But I just want to say as well, I mean, I was at camp meeting not too long ago, and that is a lot of work. And, uh, you know, Jennifer and Matt, they love taking care of too. And if it wasn't for Jennifer and Matt, I don't know that we would have had the blessings that we had in the youth tent because I didn't have to worry. I didn't do anything to deserve the good food that I got to eat and the care that my kids got. But I just want to say a special thank you because because of that, lives were changed. When we come together, when we do things together, people's lives are changed. There was a young girl, not young, but I mean, I guess I'm getting older. I just turned 41 this week, uh, a couple days ago, and... uh, you know, there was this, this teenager who came to our youth tent, and several years before that, her mother tried to bring her to the church in that area to, you know, hopefully help her to accept Jesus, and it really didn't work out, and the family kind of disappeared and stopped coming as well. And so that's the backdrop to this. She shows up in our youth tent, amen? And we've got one week One week to preach and to share the love of Jesus. And in that one week, there were tears, there was prayer, there was fellowship. And this uh, young woman came to me and said, I want Bible studies and I want to start coming to church. Amen? Amen? And I was asking the question because that was just one example of many. I mean, there was just so many hearts touched. Some people were coming from out of state and, you know, ran and gave me a hug or others on our team and just wanted to say thank you so much because their lives were changed. And I was saying, you know what, how did so much happen in so little time? And really what I gathered together is a couple key things. One, we were meeting together every single day. That's important, right? The second thing is we had fun together. And really, I hope that that is the thing that we're going to do here at Bucks. And so I'm still in advertising mode. I haven't started preaching yet. I just want you to know that the invite to Fairview Village, if you don't know where that is, please reach out, is an opportunity for just that. We need to have fun together. And it's going to be a blast. We've got a lot, at least of what we could afford. Fireworks are expensive. We've got a good show for you. And if any of you have fireworks that you want to bring, you're welcome to bring them out and join in that collection so we can just have more fun. We've got plenty of land there at Fairview so we can do this safely and within the reason of the law. I spoke to a police officer. You have to be so many feet from this and from that. So we've got it all mapped out, ready to go. I hope you guys come. Bring your kids Bring your neighbors, bring your enemies, bring whoever you can find, and let them see that we have fun as Adventists. As Christians, we have fun together. Amen? And so, all that to come to a very unreasonable sermon. But before I do that, actually, I've got one more thing I want to thank you guys, because this was just unreasonable, the love that we show to people. Amen? Uh, Mary Velasquez sent us a thank you note. Um, she wanted to thank you all for your love, for your prayer, for your support. Um, she had to have open heart surgery, and it really impacted her and her 
uh, way of living, and she was just so touched by the abundant support and care. And so here's what she sent to us. She said, you are a true angel to me, and I am more grateful to you than words can express. Few people possess the or considerate, unselfish, loving heart that you have, and even fewer are willing to give so much of themselves. I thank you for your kindness and for being the wonderful, amazing persons you are. I know I am blessed to have you in my life. This is to Buck's members, elders, pastor, and all. So just continue to remember those that are hurting. Let's continue to pray also for Sharon and her family and uh, that God will continue to touch their lives through this very difficult time as she is recovering from the loss of her mother. Would you guys join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you that your spirit is in this place. I want to thank you, Lord, that we don't have to come to you and earn your love, earn forgiveness, but that, Lord, your love really is unreasonable. We can't really figure out exactly why you love us so much, but, Lord, you do nonetheless. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to step aside for a moment. Lord, we're so excited what you're doing here at Bucks County. We don't want to get in the way of what you're doing. But, Lord, you're calling us, as broken as we are, to step forward and to join these small groups, to pray together, to encourage each other, to have fun together. And you're saying right now, for this moment of time, to be blessed by your word. And so, Lord, I pray that Satan and his angels and that all the distractions that want to come into our minds would be just parted for a moment so that we could hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You know, I think about love. Love is not reasonable, is it? When a young man sees a young woman and, you know, they start to be attracted and then they make the decision that they want to be a pair. Oftentimes, people who are on looking look and say, does that young man know what he's getting into? Or does that young woman know what she's getting into? Love is just not reasonable, is it? When you get stricken by love, you just do things that don't always make sense. And God is stricken with love for us. And I want us to see if we can dive into this a little bit. I want to start with Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there or you can look on the screen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter comes and says to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I mean, it sounds like a reasonable request, right? Like, like what is the number that I need to be kind and turn the other cheek? At what point does that stop? And he came up with a pretty reasonable argument. He says, should it be seven times? And I want you to understand that he probably knew the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to look at that in a minute. But you know what? When Abel killed his brother, right? Do you remember the mark that was placed on him? And if anybody killed Cain... The vengeance was up to how many times? Seven times. I mean, that is some incredible love that God gave to protect. It's unreasonable. Why would he protect Cain, who killed his brother? 
Why would he put a mark on him that he would be protected by the mercy of God? It seems to be quite unreasonable. And so Peter says, what about seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And some people have thought that Jesus was giving a number. So I'm going to give you a very unreasonable response to this to say that 70 times 7 had nothing to do with a number. Okay? It actually has something to do that's so much more profound. What Christ was saying is unreasonable forgiveness. So I want to read to you a little bit about how unreasonable it got before God destroyed the earth. I told you about Cain, right? So then you follow down the descendants. Not too far, you come to a man named Lamech. And Lamech said to his wives, he had two wives, Ada and Zillah, he says, listen to my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, church of Bucks County. (laughs) For I have killed a man for wounding me even a young man, for hurting me. Sounds like a reasonable reason, right? I mean, they were hurting him, so it was self-defense. But notice where his heart was. Notice how he was treating the mercy and forgiveness of God. Notice what he knew and what he was doing anyways. Here's what he says. If Cain shall be avenged seven times, Peter then how about myself 70 times 7? Are you seeing something here? In other words, what he's looking at, he's trampling on the mercy that was shown before. He's literally saying, look, if he got seven times for killing his brother, I killed two, then God should avenge me 70 times 7. So what happens when God sees this response? We just jump to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So let's backtrack here for a second. What God was seeing was not that there were certain sins that were more wicked than others. What God was not seeing was, he was not seeing a picture all of a sudden that mankind was just dehabilitating even worse and worse as we might think. Because oftentimes we look at things and we reason everything before the Lord. We say, you know what? He destroyed the earth just because it got so horribly bad that he was so sorry. It says that, but you have to read it in context. Understand this. What was happening was they were trampling on the mercy of God. Instead of recognizing his goodness for what it was, they were basically coming to the point that they were saying, God is not going to do anything about what we're doing, and we can play him. We can, we can sin if we want to, and God's just going to forgive us anyways. In fact, he should forgive me even more. Are you following? But the danger, the lopsided to this, is some of us have got the idea that we've sinned so greatly, God hates us. And that's not the case. That is not the case. But don't trample on God's goodness. Amen? So let's see what happens next. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. This is verse 6. And he was grieved where? In his heart. 
He was hurt. Have you ever tried to get someone's attention? You tried so hard. You loved them so much, but they kept pushing you away. Have you ever experienced it where you gave and you gave and you gave, but everything you did was misinterpreted? It was thought of as an attack versus something that was good. Could you imagine if you were God for a moment? God only is trying to show his love. When Adam and Eve sinned, he comes along and he offers to them a a sacrifice. He says, I'm coming to die for you. But all they offered to him was excuses and blaming. In his mercy, he takes them out of the garden to give them an opportunity so that they can see what they were missing and that they could come back into fellowship with him. And he had a plan to restore them, but all they did was complain. Then you have Cain, and he doesn't think it's fair. It's not right. And he has all the justifications and reasons as the eldest son that he should be receiving of God. And after all, he brought God the best that he had. And God did not accept it, and he was angry. He threw a fit, and he killed his brother. Reasonably, he should have been killed, right? But God, in his abundant mercy, shows mercy to Cain. Puts a protection on him. Giving Cain an opportunity to see his love and to hopefully come into connection with him. But Cain refuses. All the way down to Lamech. Are you following? God was grieved in his heart. He was calling. He was calling. He was beckoning. He said, and he made it so simple when he got to the flood. I mean, some people get so angry with God. Why did he destroy so many people? I want you to understand how grieved it was in his heart, how simple he made it. He opened the door. He sent a bunch of animals without any hand, everything that he could witness that this man Noah was hearing from God. He preached to them. He ministered to them. He called to them day after day, year after year. And then all he said you had to do was walk through the doors. I mean, we misunderstand this so many times because we think, oh, you know what? They, they, they had to get all the fundamental beliefs of, of Moses or Noah. They had, to, they had to spend maybe five Sabbaths together with Noah. Maybe they had to, um, you know, make sure they were already paying their tithes and offerings before they could come in. But notice, none of that was the prerequisite. It was simply come in. But because they weren't spending the Sabbaths with God, because they didn't know who he was, because they weren't being thankful and giving in return, they couldn't even do that. Unreasonable love. The door was open. They just had to come in. It grieved the heart of God. God was not looking to destroy the earth because he was angry, because he couldn't forgive them. It was because they wouldn't accept his forgiveness. There was nothing left he could do. He couldn't even push them into the ark because they would have screamed the whole way. Are you following Just last week, we had a powerful sermon that used this verse. And I said, you know what, I'm going to include it in there because it's a, good re- it's a good example of unreasonable forgiveness. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. You guys remember it, right? It was about a wicked king named who? Ahab. Ahab. 
It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And uh, it says he reigned for how long? 22 years. That's a long time of mercy from God. Because it says in verse 30, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And I remember that was emphasized before. That is pretty wicked. I mean, if you were thinking you were pretty bad and you're not sure if God could forgive you, I want you to think about this guy. This guy did so much evil that the Bible actually records it's worse than anything Saul did, anything Cain did, anything Lamech did, anything any of those that had came before, he did worse. But I want to show you what God did with this king. Some of you might not realize how merciful and forgiving God is. So I want you to see a few things here. 1 Kings 16, 29 says, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial uh, thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served, now I say Baal, not Baal, however you want to pronounce it, and worshipped him. Right? So he made some mistakes, yes or no. He fell from the nest, Jennifer. And did God care for this wicked king? Verse 32 says, Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. He's just continuing to fall. Verse 33, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. Are you getting a theme? He did a lot. He messed up really, really bad. But then he got into trouble. He got into some trouble, and we're now in 1 Kings 20. We're progressing through his story. This is after Elijah has already had the time of no rain. And after Elijah demonstrates that, that the servants of Baal were nothing and the, the God of heaven was the true God, kind of the same thing, the Cain and Abel uh, uh, altars had been put up, right? Uh, Cain's altar represented by the, uh, those that served Baal. And then Abel's off, altar was Elijah's, right? And fire came down showing that God was with uh, Elijah, right? And then you had this mighty experience, this wonderful manifestation, and then all of a sudden Elijah takes off running because Jezebel again intercepts this transformation that begins in King Ahab. Ahab actually seemed like he had a chance, but he made a bad choice in wife selection. Um, She was, man, she was really, really running his show, and you'll see that as we continue going through this. But here now, it says in verse 23 of chapter 20, it says, Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. So let me back up and tell you what happened here. This king had came up against them to besiege them, and a prophet comes to wicked king Ahab. Remember, this guy's worse than before. And Ahab talks to the prophet of God, and the prophet of God promises deliverance to Ahab. That's unreasonable. No one had done worse than Ahab, but God is promising to deliver Ahab from this mighty army. Amen? So then he delivers them. Now we're in part B. 
they say, well, you know what? It was because the God of Israel is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. So therefore, they were stronger than, than we. They, they're trying to come up with an explanation to what happened here. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So now they come back with a mighty, mighty army. And God destroys them, gives a major victory for King Ahab. Remember, I mean, are you following the progress here? I mean, he's killing the prophets of God. He's hunting down Elijah. The time of no rain has occurred. He sees the manifestation of God. Then he gets turned by Jezebel, and now he's turning back to God again for a moment. Are you following? It says... In verse 24, so do this thing, dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And they listened to their voice and did so. And so it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up the Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. Jennifer, you had some goats at your house. I mean, are they real fierce looking? And No. While the Syrians filled the countryside. I mean, we're talking a massive miracle here. To the extent of Ahab's sins, God was showing his grace abounded much more. Are you following? This is a miracle of miracles. A picture, a little flock of goats against a massive army. This is what's happening. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said... The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am what? Did God give every opportunity to Ahab to know who he was? Yes. And do you know that Ahab actually took some notes? He messes up here again, but I want to show you as we we continue on. So they encamped opposite of each other for seven days. So it was on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, God worked a great miracle. Amen? And it says on that day, the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. That is insane. Unreasonable. But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell. On 27,000. That's a big wall. Was that the wall of China? I mean, what was that? That was a massive wall that just fell on them. And of the men who were left, Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into the inner chamber. Okay, so notice what the other kings knew about the God of Israel. Watch what happens next. Then the servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are what kind of kings? As wicked as Ahab was, more wicked than all the other kings that came before him, he was still considered a merciful king according to the world. Are you following this? 
And watch what happens. Please let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will what? Spare our lives. Now, God had instructed him not to spare their lives, kind of like King Saul. Remember, King Ahab was worse than all that came before. So what do you think he did? He did spare the life. He did spare the life. But he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. I know it sounds weird because we're thinking, hey, we should be merciful, right? But in this case, I haven't told you about Ben-Hadad, and that's a whole other sermon. But God had his reasons. Are you following? So they wore the sackcloth around their waists and put ropes around their heads. I want you to understand that what's happening here was not true forgiveness. This is the same thing that Lamech was doing. Are you following? They were basically trampling. They're just, they're using the mercy. And, and we know this by what happens next if you read your Bibles and how he responds after he gets this forgiveness. But anyways, they, he comes to him. He says, your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. And here's what Ahab said. He says, is he still alive? He is my brother. He's my brother. So then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let uh, this man slip out of your hand, of whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. Okay? Are you following what's happening here? So the king of Israel threw a temper tantrum. Is that what it says? Pretty much, right? It says he went to his house, sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. And you know what happened next? Incredible story of murder. Came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. So remember, he's coming home depressed, upset. He's, he's just throwing a fit. And what better to do when you're miserable than go shopping? Right? So he looks around and he says, Hey, that looks like a nice piece of real estate. I want it. Are you following? And so he makes what appears to be a reasonable offer for the land. Okay, I'm just I'm skipping some of it for sake of time. And then his wife comes and seems to be a good, good wife for a moment here. Just for a moment. See, Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because the word which Naboth the Jesuelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and he would not eat food. Was he having a fit? Yes, he's not eating food. So his wife notices that he's really miserable, and here's what she does. This is a good attribute of Jezebel for a minute. You guys ready? But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Did she care for her husband? Pierce too. And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard. And um, if you give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. That was not an accurate depiction of what happened, but okay. He's having a fit. You guys following? So Jezebel, his wife, says to him, you now exercise authority 
over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I, who? I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Are you guys noticing who was in charge here? So in the king's name, she writes letters to the elders, to the chief people of the town, and they decide to throw a party and invite Naboth to the party and bring him up and talk about how good Naboth is. And then they plan to have some people that would share some lies about Naboth, and then they took him out and stoned him. You guys following? Really wicked plan. And the people followed it to the letter. Can't follow God's word to the letter, but it's another sermon. We're talking about unreasonable forgiveness. I want you to, I'm just trying to build the case of how wicked this was. Are you guys following so far? So then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession. He's literally not even taking time to mourn the loss of Naboth, to allow anything. He's gone right away after he's dead to possess that land. Are you following? You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, Dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Pretty strong statement, but it doesn't stop here. I'm about to show you some unreasonable forgiveness. You guys ready to see this? So Ahab says to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. Sounds reasonable for all he's done, right? Does that sound reasonable? I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord spoke, saying, the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. It's all pretty reasonable, isn't it? I mean, you would think that's a just response for the most wicked king, whoever was there. It says, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was none, no one like Ahab, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Is it important who we marry? So let's look what happens. And he behaved very abominably in the following idols according to all that the Ammonites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. God is just building this case. So it was when Ahab heard those words, notice what Ahab does. He tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. The reasonable thing God would have said was, Let him do it. He deserves it. He's going to die anyways, right? But watch this. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, 
Hey, what happened there? I missed the verse. Going back to my Bible, 1 Kings 21. If you guys are there, it won't be on the screen. Something happened there. 1 Kings chapter 21. And I want to catch down to verse 29. Here's what God says. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his day. Complete reversal. In the days of his sons, I will bring the calamity on his heart. Unreasonable. There was no reason for God to move upon the most wicked person. Chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. And had Ahab continued in that path, I think God would have done like he did for the Ninevites and taken the whole thing back because God's love is unreasonable. His forgiveness is uncomprehensible. There's no justification for what God had done. For, for the forgiveness, I mean, there's nothing you could have done that could be worse than what Ahab had done, what Jezebel had done, and God would have forgiven all. Are you following? If you can explain your forgiveness, you have explained Christ off the cross. I want you to understand, if you can really rationalize why you should be forgiven, you have taken God and lowered him. You have lowered him. And I've just begun to explain this to you. Hopefully, I can have a few more minutes of your time. I want to remind you, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. And God said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So where is this really coming from? Daniel 9, 24 Seventy weeks are determined for your people. How many times is, how many days in a week? Seventy, so this is seventy times seven, right? Okay, it's a prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of the sins, to bring reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This was a prophecy of the Messiah. This was a prophecy to the children of Israel that they had a time period to accept the mercy of God, to accept the forgiveness, the unreasonable forgiveness of God, to embrace the Messiah, to finally come to an end, to accept his death on their behalf on the cross. And they had 70 times 7 to get it right. Are you following? So Jesus, knowing this, he says to the children of Israel, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. He says the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment against this generation and condemn it. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and a greater than Solomon is here. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, listen, 
You've had every example. You've seen how I've brought the dead to life. I've caused the mute to hear. I've cast out demons. And you've told me I've cast them out by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. I've shared with you the love of God. I've shared you self-denial. I've washed your feet. I've ministered to your sickness. I've ministered to the hurting. I've shown compassion to those that you didn't think it was reasonable to show compassion. I went to Zacchaeus' house. I ministered to the woman caught in adultery. And I didn't condemn her. I was showing you over and over again. And had the people of Noah's day seen this, they probably would have entered the ark. Had the people in Nineveh's day seen this, they would have accepted it. But you, my people, my children, you refuse to accept the unreasonable love and forgiveness that I have. There's nothing you can do. And so then they led him to a place called Calvary. And there they crucified him. And the criminal, one on his right hand and the other on his left. But Jesus, remembering what he had said to Peter, he said, no, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven even until the point of the Messiah himself being anointed, even until the point of the Messiah dying between two criminals, not for himself, but for you, still continue to forgive them. And so he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The 70 weeks weren't up yet. Moses in your Sabbath school lessons was trying to show the, unforgi- the unreasonable forgiveness by pardoning, asking God to pardon the iniquity of the people. You guys remember that. It was in your lesson, right? I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Despite all that they had done, they had mouths of evidence that God was a forgiving God. Their descendants, their, th- those that came before, had constantly been forgiven. Though they complained and they bickered, though they continued to distrust God, He forgave them every single day. And now we get to the end of the 70 weeks, and you have a man, a, a deacon named Stephen. He's preaching. He's reminding them of the history. He's showing them the unreasonable forgiveness of God. He's building case after case. He's telling them that you killed the prophets. You stoned those that came to save you. But God was still reaching out his hand. He still sent. He sent his son. His son has died on the cross. And he said, you are all stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears. You're still like Lamech saying, God should, should forgive me more, that he needs to show me more signs. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but none will be given but the sign of Jonah. Jesus was to die and raise again. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Understand the only forgiveness that is unforgivable is the one that you didn't ask for. Are you following? If you think your sin is too big, then you think Jesus' sacrifice was too small. You can't have it both ways, right? Like, if Christ's sacrifice was great enough, if it was grand enough, if it was, if it was good enough for the Father to say, it is finished, it is accepted, if heaven could rejoice, why can't we? Why do we have to resist 
It's kind of like you have a baby registration and you picked out all the things that you wanted to have and imagine that everything you put on that list, you got. That's how it is with forgiveness. God has already forgiven you. All you're doing is cashing in on the registry. When you confess your sins, you're simply saying, yes, Jesus, I accept that. Are you following? It's unreasonable. There's nothing you do to deserve that. He says, them, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers, which have received the law by the direction of angels, and you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried with a loud voice. They plugged their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down his clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Unreasonable forgiveness. This came to the end of the 70 weeks. Here we see now that the gospel's about to go to the Gentiles, that the time of the children of Israel is coming to an end, and God is saying, listen, it wasn't ever about a number. It's that you need to forgive until you can't forgive because there's no breath left in you. Every moment, everything that's in you, as unreasonable as it is, if you are expecting someone to do something before you forgive them, then you're going to have a hard time in the judgment. My friends, forgiveness is something we should be known as a people that are merciful when it's, un, it's, it's just unreasonable. There's no explanation for our mercy. And then they're going to say, you've walked with Jesus. Are you following? If you're teaching in your home that forgiveness only comes when you do this or you do that or you show me that you're just sorry enough. If we're teaching that as a church, then we are not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be better for them to misuse your forgiveness and your love because that just shows that the time is about expired and God's going to respond to the cry of your heart, how long, O God? And he's going to see the blood that's been shed. He's going to see the ministry that's been given. He's going to see the commitment that you've had, the love that's shared. And he's going to say, enough! And it's going to be over. But my friends, God can't come back and come get his own if we aren't acting as his own. Some of you are struggling with forgiveness. Some of you are struggling to be forgiven, and some of you are struggling to forgive. You, you're still waiting for someone to come along and, and, and apologize to you and tell you that they did this so wrong and, and that, that, that you were so right, and, and then maybe you might forgive them. Maybe you're thinking that God couldn't forgive you because you can't forgive yourself. 
Maybe you're thinking that you can't come yet. And I just want to remind you that, that, that the voice of Noah is still preaching. Come in. The ark is open. Just come in. And if you need to come, I, I'll come down a little closer here so you don't feel like I'm higher than you because I'm not. Come. If you need today to have some of that forgiveness that's unreasonable, whether you need to give it or whether you need to receive it, don't try to figure it all out right now. Don't try to figure out how you're going to forgive this person or how you're going to. Just come. Come with boldness to the throne of grace right here. You may not see it, but there are angels that are circling around this area and they're waiting. Jesus is here with tears coming down. His heart is grieved and he's saying, who's going to come today? Who's going to come and really pour out your heart to God? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to confess to me anything. But come before the throne of God today and tell him you don't want to forgive. Tell him that you're struggling on how to forgive. Tell him that you don't know how he can forgive you, but I want you to come under the cross and just bend your knees and just spend whatever time you need here. Because guys, if we're going to have this evangelistic series, if we're going to expect anyone to come to Jesus, we need to come first. And I'll be the first one right here because guys, I'm telling you, I need the forgiveness of God. I need the mercy of God. I need to believe it in my heart. It's not reasonable. I don't know that I would have accepted Paul after he killed Stephen. I don't know that I would have wrapped my arms around him and done ministry with him. I don't know that I would have forgiven somebody as they were throwing rocks in my face. I've had a rock hit me in the head. I've had the blood gushing down, and it was just from a little boy couldn't imagine a grown man throwing rocks at me and now I'm going to embrace them and forgive them. My friends, it's not reasonable. So I invite you to come. I invite you to come and just spend a moment here because my friends, without prayer, we're not going anywhere. This church isn't growing without prayer. If somebody wants to play a little bit of music as it's going on, that would be beautiful. But just come here, and whatever it is, whatever the burden you have, come and bring it to the Lord. Bring it to Him. He'll hear your prayers. He'll answer. He'll forgive. The door is open. And I just want you to just bask in His glory as the song is sung, Amazing Love. As that song is being played, just be here and, and be in contemplation and prayer and just ask Jesus as you think about yourself here at the cross, just ask him if he's big enough, if he's strong enough. Ask him how.